If you've not been to church and you're not real familiar, if I were to ask you the question, what does Jesus talk about more than anything else in the Bible, you might not know. And so we want to welcome you if you're a guest, if you're an out-of-town guest and you're here, you've not been to church in a long time or ever, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We really are. But if, you're, if I was to ask you that question, you know, at a coffee shop or restaurant, what does Jesus talk about more than anything else? You would probably guess, if you're not churched and real familiar, you'd probably guess prayer. That'd be a good guess. Maybe Bible study. You might guess forgiveness. You might guess heaven. That'd be a good topic for Jesus to talk about. You might guess love. We can't go wrong with love. But what's so interesting is Jesus talks about money more than any other topic. Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. Jesus talks more about money than faith and prayer combined. Now that's fascinating to me. In fact, one-third of all the parables are about stuff. How to make money, how to invest money, how to give money, how to save money, how to pay your employees. Well, it's all about how to handle the resources that come your way. Now, why would Jesus do this? Why did Jesus talk more about money than any other time? It's called the vanilla effect, by the way. Vanilla comes from ice cream. They sell this much strawberry. They sell this much chocolate, but they sell this much vanilla ice cream. They sell more vanilla ice cream than chocolate and strawberry combined. Now, you may not learn any scripture this morning, but you've learned about ice cream. Now, how, that's important to most of you in the room, right? So it's the vanilla effect. Jesus talk, Now, as we enter into Christmas, it's a stressful season financially because how much do we give away? How much do we pay for gifts, who do we buy for, who do we not. It can be a contentious time. Now, maybe it's just contentious in the Parker household. Maybe you're far more spiritual than the Parkers. And looking at you, you're not. You're not, okay? So uh, you're just about the same. But, but what's so fascinating to me is that Jesus, in the middle of the Gospel of Luke, tells seven stories all on money. Now, what we do with these stories is we usually do them one at a time in different contexts. I'm not going to do that today. Today, seven stories. I'm coming at you with a shotgun. And there's four amazing principles out of these seven stories. We're going to cover all seven stories. God, I hope this works. And we're going to do four principles. And these four principles are incredibly important for your life. So what does Jesus talk about more than any other topic in the Bible? He talks about money. Why? Because he knew we would need help with our resources. So we're going to begin with a very familiar story. And in literature, this would be called irony. And the irony is you've got a Pharisee who's a religious guy who ends up not getting what he thought he was going to get. And you've got a very sinful man named a tax collector who's basically a, a spy. A tax collector was a Jewish man who had sold himself to the Roman government and was cheating his own people. So here's the first story. It's called irony. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and who looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, 
good Jewish guy, religious leader, and the other a tax collector, also a Jewish man, but he'd sold himself to the Roman government and now he works for the Romans, the enemy. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you. Now just, just picture this. I thank you, God, that I am so good. I thank you, God, that I am so clean. I thank you, God, that I'm so holy. I thank you, God, that I'm, I'm, I'm such a good man. I, I fast twice a week. I, I'm a tither. I mean, God, if there's anybody that's righteous, it's me. I just love this story. I'm not like other people. I'm not a robber. I'm not an evildoer. I'm not an adulterer or even like this tax collector. He's pointing to the other guy. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. I tell you that this man, this is Jesus now, rather than the other man, went home justified before God. This is called irony. For all who will exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And what Jesus teaches in the very first story in Luke is that our goal should be to pursue spiritual riches. Now, there'll be four legs to this table again this morning, and the first leg is pursue spiritual riches. And then Jesus tells two other stories. He tells one story where a guy didn't do so good, and he tells another story of a guy that got it right. Let's talk about the guy that didn't do so well. He's called the rich young ruler. You know the story. He comes to Jesus and says basically what? What must I do to gain eternal life? Can I ensure my salvation? And Jesus is like, well, you can, you know, keep the commandments. And he says, I got that. I've kept all the commandments since I was a kid. And Jesus is like, all right, you want to play, bring it. Come on, come on, bring it. He says, but there's still something that you lack. And it wasn't the fact that he was wealthy. It was the fact that he had an idol. He had a God. There was something more valuable in his life than Jehovah Yahweh. And so he said, look, you've got to sell everything you have and and then come and follow me. And so the first guy did not pursue spiritual riches. The first guy walked away from the Savior of the world. Then Jesus tells the story about Zacchaeus. And Jesus is weaving his way through this town. And Zacchaeus is up in a tree because he's not very tall and he can't see massive crowds. And so Jesus says, to, he stops. And there's this procession. you got a picture like 10,000 people all around Jesus. He's walking and he just, well, that's kind of funny. Hey, Zacchaeus. Um, I'm coming to your house today. We're going to have lunch, and we're going to talk about this. Come on down. I love Jesus' meal-inviting plan. I mean, he just, he just, it's like me saying, hey, I'm coming to your house today, and you're going to fix dinner and see you in a half. I mean, it's incredible what he does. I'm going to try that sometime, see if it works. And everybody's freaking out because they can't believe he's going to go have lunch with this sinner. In the course of this conversation, Jesus shares with him salvation and what's really important, and the guy begins to pursue spiritual riches. Here's how we know this. Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, which he's cheated everybody out of something, It's not like, you know, maybe I did something wrong. He's cheated everybody he came in contact with. I will pay back that amount four times. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. 
Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The guy giving away to the poor was down here, but him becoming a believer was up here. And so the very first principle we want to talk about this morning is, are you pursuing spiritual riches? Now, some of you in the room are not pursuing spiritual riches. All week long, all day long, all you think about is money. And you are preoccupied with physical, tangible money, currency, capital, financial capital. But he's telling us that the very first principle is to pursue, this isn't me, this is Jesus. It's not one story. He tells three stories about this in, in Luke chapter 16, 18, and 19. Seven stories total. But, but the first principle of this four-legged chair, a four-legged table, is to pursue spiritual riches. So how are you doing that? How do you pursue spiritual riches? I'm so glad you asked that question. Just a great question to ask. So his next principle is this, is once you get this down pat and you're pursuing this, he wants you to learn to handle money with incredible integrity. So he tells a story that's a little weird. So if you're not churched and you're not used to this story, there was a rich man and there was another guy named Lazarus. And the rich man on this earth had lots of money, lived his life in luxury, had big, big tables, lots of food, lots of banquets, lots of great clothes, lots of cool stuff. And there was this poor guy named Lazarus. Now, one being rich and one being poor is not really the point of the story. The point of the story is the guy that was rich missed his opportunities. The spiritual riches of his opportunities of people were all around him, and he just completely missed them. And so the poor guy gets to go to heaven, or Abraham's side, and the rich guy actually dies also, and he goes to, we would call it hell, or Gehenna, or Sheol, or in this case, it's the place of departed spirits. But we would call it hell. So you've always wanted to cuss in church, say with me, hell. I can't believe you said that. So we got two guys, rich guy who didn't handle his money well is the point of the story. And this is what bothers Jesus in this, in this dialogue. It's not whether you have a lot or a little, it's how you handle it. So how are you handling money? Are you able to handle money with integrity? What if we made some of these promises? What if we were committed to these next promises? I, I hope you got your app out. We've got 43 slides today. We've got a lot of slides. Get ready. Here we go. If you're brand new, download the Harborside app. They're all for you. But what if you made these promises? I will always honor God with my wealth. What, what if every day before you went to work, this was on your mind and on your heart? I will always honor. I will not cheat anyone. I will not lie even in the smallest way. You know what happens when you learn to tell the truth? Even in those awkward moments, even in those painful conversations, people trust you. When you begin to always tell the truth, people may not like what you have to say, they may not appreciate how you're going to say it, but when you tell the truth, there's a respect and they begin to put their faith in that you're going to be an honest person. I will not lie. I will not manipulate others or treat them unfairly. I will, I will pay my bills on time. You imagine the Christian community always honored this and we always pay our bills on time? Can you imagine the reputation? Hey, I want to do business with those believers. They, they pay it. They pay their vendors. 
and I will pay people fairly. I, I just love these. Just imagine what happens if we put those into our lives. And I will make an honest profit, and I will be generous to those who helped me to make it. And so in the story with the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man missed his opportunities. He didn't handle his money with integrity. All right, so we've got first leg is pursue spiritual riches. Second leg, are you with me on this? All three of you. What's the first one? I knew you had it. The second one is handle money with integrity. Here's number three. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Jesus tells the story of ten lepers. And there were ten lepers that were outside the city, out of the distance, calling out, have mercy on me, son of David. And Jesus basically says to them, all right, I'll heal you. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they were walking toward the priest, who would then check the leprosy, they were all ten healed. But one guy turns around. One guy goes back to find Jesus. One guy looks up Jesus and basically says, man, I'm grateful. Thank you so much. I can't believe you did this. I'm honored. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One person turned around. I think there's two things that limit your financial uh, capacity. I think number one is not asking for more. I think some of you have so much, you can't believe what you have. You can't believe where you've come from. You can't believe where you are. And you stop asking for more. You stop thinking that God has more, more, more in store for you. More leverage, more territory, more influence, more impact. And so you stop asking. You have not because you ask not. But the second reason I think you don't have as much as what you could have is you're really not grateful. You look to everybody else who has more than you. You look to the right and you look up and you always find somebody who's got something more than you. There's always somebody who has more. And so when you stop being grateful, when you stop, stop, but when you start going, oh my goodness, I'm really thankful. I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for the skill with my hands. I'm thankful for my good mind. I'm thankful for my amazing parents or my grandparents. I'm thankful that I won the scholarship. I'm thankful that I got to go to school. I'm thankful that the tech school let me in. 300 applications, but they took two of us, and I was one of the two. When you have a heart of gratitude, it's a game changer. And your Heavenly Father then is grateful because He made you and gave you all the opportunities that you have. And so how Jesus ends this then is pretty incredible. But before we talk about that, I want to ask you this question. Are you in financial bondage? Because it's not poor people who are just in financial bondage. It's rich people. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor. People today are in financial bondage. So whether you're rich, and whatever rich means, and whatever you're poor, and whatever poor means, it's all relative. Are you in financial bondage? Well, there's 10 indicators of financial bondage. I want to see where you're at with this. I, I just feel guilty. I, 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 everything, I buy something. I can't enjoy it. I can't believe we have it. I can't believe I bought it. Maybe I should take it back. Maybe we shouldn't have this. Maybe, maybe we just... We, and yet 1 Timothy chapter 6 says he gives you everything for your enjoyment. Everything that you have... God has given to you for your enjoyment. But if you feel guilty about every purchase that you make, even if you can afford it, or especially if you, it, it, it's a matter of really 
understanding that you're in financial bondage. Another one would be deception. Now, what do I mean by deception? Deception would be you're trying to show everybody else a higher level than what you're really on. You're trying to show everybody, I'm really at this level. It's like, you know, having a champagne taste, but you got a beer budget, but you don't show anybody that, right? I can't believe I just said that in church. <laughs> Denise and I one time flew um, a private jet. One time. And we didn't even pay for it. Somebody else treated us. They took us on a private jet. But can you imagine me telling everybody, yeah, you know, Denise and I, we took the Lear the other night, and we just went out for a night, you know. I, I went one time, and somebody else paid for it. It was awesome. Trust me, it was amazing. Deception, it's trying to live at a level that's higher than what you're really at because you want to feel better about yourself because you're really insecure. You're in bondage. Stress. Is money stressful? Is it stressful? I think it's really stressful at Christmas time. It's not meant to be stressful. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. I am humble and gentle and meek. It doesn't have to be stressful. Just preoccupation. Some of you think about money all day long. Some of you think about money all week long. When you wake up, it's right here. When you go to bed, it's right here. It is a preoccupation. It's all you talk about. You talk about how much things cost. You talk about money all the time. That's financial bondage. Bickering. Now, this never happens in harborside families about money, right? It's the greatest stress in your marriage. Bickering about money. doesn't have to be. It's bondage. Envy. And I really struggled with envy, in my, especially in my 20s. All my buddies that I grew up with had real jobs and made real money, and they got to go places and do things that I couldn't do. I struggled with that. That's bondage. That wasn't my lane. That was their lane. What's your lane? What's the lane that God's called you to live in and be in? But if any of those six, I got four more, any of those six, those are indicators. Resentment. I think this is toward God. God, you let me down. God, you didn't give me more opportunities. I, I'm resentful because you didn't give me a better family. You didn't give me a better education. You didn't. Resentment can really go toward your heavenly father. There's loneliness. I feel lonely. I can't. I can't really share it. I can't really enjoy it. I can't really do anything with it. Um, hopelessness. It's always going to be this way. We're never going to get ahead. We're always going to be behind. We're always going to have to support so-and-so, cousin Eddie or whoever in the family. Always, always, every family has a cousin Eddie. If you don't have one, you're it. You're, you're cousin Eddie. Um, I, just, I just don't feel good about myself because she has more. I got a sister, a brother, aunt or uncle. I just, I just can't ever get ahead because they have more. And so here's what Jesus says. He tells the story of the ten lepers. As they were going to the priest, one turns around and Jesus says this, was there no one found to return and give praise except the one? Except the one. I, I encourage you to ask God for more. Expand your territory. But I also, I, I think he really wants you to say, man, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, those are the top three. We've got another one. And this one's a little bit weird for church world, but I think it's Jesus, and he tells two stories about this. Jesus expects you to put your money to work. It's called currency. 
it means it moves. It's to move. And so if you're in a mindset of hunkering down, you're in a mindset of just taking your little whatever and burying it, putting it in the ground, underneath the mattress, he's saying that's not right. And Jesus tells two stories about this. One is my absolute all-time favorite, and that is called the parable of the unjust steward. In the parable of the unjust steward, he commends the dishonest steward because he at least figured out what to do with money and resources to leverage it. But the story I want to tell this morning is probably one that you possibly have never read before. I've never heard a sermon on the ten minas. And there's a story, you've heard the story about the parable of the talents, but we, ever, we never rarely, I've never 